Hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Bev. What are you drinking over there? So I'm drinking, oh my gosh, something that is currently overflowing on top of me. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Happy it's Monday. Monday. Yeah, we're recording on a Monday. Yes, yes, we are, clearly. So let me see if I can get this bottle close enough to me so I can read it. <laughs> it's uh, brewed by Off Color Brewing which is out of Chicago, Illinois. It's one of my favorite breweries because they do a lot of like farmhouse ales and sours and things like that. Lots of fun stuff with wild yeast. And wild yeast does not equal sour. That's one of their like the more you know things that they yeah. like to share. Um, and the beer that I picked out is called House Lion. And it's got this adorable little picture of a kitty cat with a crown on it. And Aww. it's super cute because it's only like an eight and a half ounce beer so it's like this teeny tiny glass bottle it's dainty (laughs) it is it's dainty just like the tiny cat king (laughs) that's on the label (laughs) oh my gosh so what are you drinking over there (laughs) so i am drinking an odd side ales chicka chicka yeah because like that's how i say it in my head when i look at the can it's a Belgium-style beer spiced with lemon peel, orange peel, chamomile, and pink peppercorns. Mmm, that's like totally in my wheelhouse, all yes. of that. I was When I got it, I was like, this sounds like something Bev would like. Um, and it does, it's like got the yeasty thing in it, too. And it says, yeast mm. may settle in bottom of can, which is like Fun. a weird thing to read. But it's a nice warning, I guess, <laughs> just in case. It just, you know, that last swallow just like hits you with the yeast. <laughs> yeah, it's a little funky feeling in your mouth. It's not a good mouth feel. Not a good mouth feel. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're so weird. <laughs> and welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. That's Bev over there. And that's Sam over there. And this is the Farm Comedy Podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We want to create a community for farmers, whether you have a hobby-sized farm or a huge farm, to come listen and feel like you're not so alone in this farm thing. We keep it real with you and find humor in the mistakes we make, new knowledge we gain, and sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. And speaking of tangents, we cut a lot of those and stick them up on our Patreon. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. If you're not a Patreon peep and you want to be, go to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. And starting at the $2 level or above, you're able to get access to exclusive recordings and pictures and fun things like that. And, drumroll please, the fall gifts should be on their way. Right, Bev? Yes, I have gotten them in. I am currently packaging them up and getting them out, but they should all be out by the time this episode drops on Friday. So yes, in Friday's time, they are on their way, but in right now's time, they're on my desk, (laughs) but I'm working on it. (laughs) Yes. We work full-time jobs on top of doing this podcast, so we appreciate that you guys appreciate that. Um, And for those of you who are like, where is my gift? So our Patreon peeps that are currently at the $5 level and above are getting those gifts. So if that's something that you want in on next time we do that, and it'll be sometime probably like in the late winter, um, you got to be at that $5 level. 
And then you get a free gifty. And I'm pretty excited about these. These are cute. So I can't wait to share them with you all. Yes, 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 yes. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by Montana Coombs, which is at Thimbleworks over on the Instagram. And she has a super cute shop. Um, it's thimbleworks.co. And when you use code Drink and Farm, you get 10% off in her shop. So you should go check that out and use that code and save yes. some money. So thanks, Montana. Cheers. Cheers. So I do have a bit of follow up for, for myself from last week. Um, last week I mentioned that season five of Coop Dreams is happening now and that you could watch it on its very own Roku channel. And then like, I think it was like same day, uh, Coop Dreams star, AKA our friend Brad, AKA who's a big deal and who runs the biggest deal, the biggest (laughs) deal. Um, he, uh, had some big news on Facebook Live. So Coop Dreams actually has its own app now that you can binge watch episodes on for free. So if you have an Apple product, um, and I think it's on Android too, you can download the app and watch all those episodes for free. And it's got some really neat things in it. Like if he's talking about a product in the episode, you're going to be able to get information on that product and even purchase it yourself. Uh, so that was really nice, um, integration to see and everybody can enjoy Coop Dreams for free now. So you have no excuse, but to go check it out. I almost messaged you when I downloaded the app because I didn't realize that I'd be able to actually watch the episodes through the app because I didn't watch the whole live because <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I downloaded it and then I was just clicking around. I was like, oh, this is really cool. You can see all the things he's talking about on each episode. And then I just happened to like click on it and the episode started. I was like, yay, because I don't have a Roku device <laughs> or cable. So I haven't been able to watch it. But now I've watched a couple episodes, so I'm excited. Indeed. And we're going to be most likely appearing on one of the season five episodes, too. So there's that. That, too. And I have a small piece of follow-up also. I got a message from at H.A. Acres on the Instagram And they wrote me and said, good morning. I'm a few days late listening to episode 76, so I'm not sure if someone mentioned something already, but I wanted to clarify something about metronidazole. And they said that my pronunciation was on point, but I can't remember what the pronunciation is, so I probably just butchered it that time. (laughs) And they said, by the way, Metronidazole is actually a type of antibiotic that treats certain bacteria and parasites, and it's used to treat bacterial vaginosis and trichomoniasis, which is an STD. And yeast infections are caused by a fungus and treated with different medications. And they wanted to share a side note that metronidazole has a severe interaction with alcohol and will make you violently ill if you drink taking it. So no drinking and farming um, metronidazole. So I thought I should share that since we talked about Ventglete in that episode and we talked about how Ventglete can be caused by a bacteria or a yeast or a fungus. And so like what it's being caused by really depends on how you want to treat it if you're going to treat it with medications. So they listened to the episode and just wanted to make a few clarifications on the antibiotic that we specifically discussed. So it only works if your ventgly is caused by certain bacteria or parasites. So there you go. Thanks for that follow up, H.A. Acres. Yes, we love that. We, you know what, if you know, you got something to say about something we said, 
Um, as long as you're nice about it and helpful, we're, we're totally going to go back and shout you out for that. So kindness is paramount. And we never claim to be the experts on anything. And a lot of the times we're just, you know, doing our own research and taking the information we have in the moment and sharing it with you. Um, and we do our best to provide you with information that is up to date, which can be kind of hard in the chicken keeping world because some of the research is super old because they only think in terms of like commercial poultry production. Um, so we just wanted to let you guys know that we really like it when you reach out and, and tell us things that we might not have covered because we can only do so much. <laughs> and we like to learn from you. We're not vets. <laughs> no, we are not. We might sound like it sometimes, <laughs> but we're not. <laughs> Yeah. So if you are and you hear something that we say that wasn't quite right or was misinterpreted or sounded like it was delivered a little weird, correct us because we want to share that information with everybody else because we want to share the best information that we possibly can. Yes. Just don't be a dick. Yeah. And so far, nobody has been. No. No. Because we've warded off the dicks with all the positive vibes. That's right. (laughs) Anyways, it's our favorite time of the month. Henny and Rue Corner. Yes, Henny and Rue Corner. Okay, so we got our boxes a couple days ago. Um, So what was your favorite item in this month's box, Bev? So my favorite item in the box was the hen pot holder. <gasps> oh, dang it. That was mine, too. Oh, was it? <laughs> oh, dang it. I figured you were going to pick the trivet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to pick the trivet. <laughs> that's so funny that's what i get for letting you go first (laughs) right i picked the pot holder though because i don't have very many like themed chicken items and i liked Mm -hmm. that it was colored for fall and i've got a couple hooks like around in my kitchen so i can hang the pot holder up and it's a decoration and also people will use that to pull things out of the oven instead of like my really nice dish towels because i have some dish towels that have been burned by pizza stones and stuff Mm -hmm. so I like having a pot holder I can leave out that's not going to get ruined by pulling things out of the oven. So I was super excited to get it. (laughs) So what was your second favorite thing since I stole your first one? Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. That's too funny. So I really enjoy, and I'm not going to say the trivet because that's kind of like default because it was super cute and we talked about it last month when we talked about the sneak peek. Um, The triple antibiotic ointment because... You can use Neosporin or some other brand, but you don't want it to have the pain reliever in it. Um, and the ones that we end up having in the house usually have the pain reliever in it. Um, it but you that's like really handy for any kind of wind care with a bird. And I was excited just to have another bottle or um, tube of it that I can just put in my t- chicken keeping box that I'm not using for both humans and birds. So that was really nice. Right. Um, And we also got the latest episode of Pioneer Magazine, which is super cool. I'm looking forward to flipping through that and reading the articles. Yeah. And and then this box also included quite a few treats, um, which our hens never turn their noses up to. So we got fly grubs, all natural feed supplement, as well as happy hen treats, mealworm and seed treat square, and a cool basket for it to go into. So your hens can peck it, peck at it. And then some fresh frenzy, juicy dried treats, like juicy mealworms, which kind of gross me out a little bit, but also kind of fascinate me because I'm like squeezing them through the package and it feels weird. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know if you did that too, or if you just like threw them in with your birds right away and didn't think about it, but it kind of grossed me out, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't given it to them yet. Um, I might have to go do that after this. I still need to take some photos of the box. So it's still sitting like nicely assembled on my desk as a reminder oh. to go do that. <laughs> Oh, the the day in the life of yes. taking photos of things. Yes. Um, and I love that basket that's got that you put the I, I call them suet blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'll actually end up using that. I won't end up using that for my chickens. I'll hang it for the winter birds because it helps bring like the cardinals and stuff around when the snow Ooh. falls. We don't have a whole lot of creatures. It gives them a little extra fat and a little extra nutrients so they'll come and hang around our house which I love because like my chickens are spoiled AF so they don't need the fat (laughs) so I'll give it to the wild birds (laughs) there you go and as always we got a nesting box liner that you can throw into one of your nesting boxes and they're compostable which is exciting or should I say exciting Uh uh-huh uh-huh exciting And then we also um, got an October sneak peek, and you guys, the caramels are coming back. I am so pumped. Yes. And if you don't know what we're talking about, these have been included in the last two October boxes. And there are these, like, sea salt caramels that are just to die for. Um, So, you guys, that right there is enough for you to go and buy the October box if you're not a current subscriber. Yeah, I mean, these caramels are so good. I don't share them. When Mm -hmm. the box comes in, I eat them all. They're all for me. (laughs) Yes. And allegedly, there's another sneak peek coming. But at the time of recording today, uh, I don't see it in any of the social media. So by the time this drops, it'll probably be out there. So go to Honey and Rue's social media pages to see what it is. And then go over to honeyandrue.com and use code Drink and Farm to get 10% off your first box so you can get the dang caramels because you're going to want them. You're going to want the caramels. Trust us. Mm-hmm. The leaves may be starting to turn colors. The nights are getting cooler. And I don't know about your flock, but it seems like mine always starts to molt when the weather starts to cool down a bit. Lucky for us, we're stocked up on Grubbly Farms Grubblies. They're an all-natural, oven-dried chicken snack that's rich in nutrients, packing 50 times more calcium than mealworms. And they're a wonderful source of protein, which will help those feathers grow in shiny, strong, and healthy. I mean, have you been around a hen that's molting? She's usually pretty grumpy and needs her snacks. You need to get her grubbly stat to not only promote faster feather growth, but to keep that rusting beak face in check. So go to grublyfarms.com and use code FARM15 at checkout. And you can use the code on regular orders or on subscription orders. And subscription orders always save 10%. But with our code, you'll save 15 on the first shipment and they always ship free. So in today's episode, uh, it's going to be... Just a little deep and heavy because, like, we're going to talk about death on the farm. Yes. And I feel like we kind of talk about death a lot. We do. It is something that kind of happens a lot, right? It it does, especially if you're farming operation, no matter how big or small it is. It, I mean, the bigger it is, the more death you're going to have. That just kind of makes sense. But um, eventually, even if you just have, like, cats and dogs um, or maybe, like, a gerbil or something like that's going to happen. And then you have to decide what you're going to do with the body. So today 
we want to talk about um, that experience and like how Bev handles it so far and how I've handled it so far. Uh, and then recently, too, we posed that question on our Facebook. So we want to kind of integrate some of those answers in as, as we're talking um, throughout the uh, throughout the episode today. Um, I do want to point out that we referenced three articles this week. One's from North Dakota State University's Ag Department. One's from Drovers.com and is written by Michigan State University Extension Office. And then we also have an article from University of Massachusetts um, from their Ag Department. So we have three really good sources this week that um, Bev so graciously pulled all the information together. Um, And we'll be going over that today. Yeah, and this discussion, even if it's something that you don't want to think about, it's extremely important, especially if you have larger livestock Mm -hmm. at all, Um, or if you live far out where you don't have a ton of resources nearby to help you deal with when one of your livestock or pet animals dies. So I think this is going to be a really important one to listen to, even if it's not the funnest. But we try to make it a little fun because that's what we do. But yeah, yeah. sometimes that might come off as a little morbid, but that's just kind of how we deal with things. And we've talked about that before. We kind of react what would seem inappropriately as a way to deflect from the pain and experience that we've had on our own farms. And I know... um, If you've been listening to us for a little while, and in episode 72, we discussed how Bev's goat Darby died really unexpectedly and kind of quickly from pneumonia on a Sunday afternoon. Um, So, Bev, do you kind of want to recap what exactly happened there and your experience with being probably really upset and having to figure out what to do with little Darby's body? Yeah, so I'll set the scene for you guys. It's about five-ish o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and I live in a really rural town. Like, I'm 30 minutes from the nearest, quote-unquote, like, small city. Um, But even small cities don't have a lot of resources, so I'm an hour and a half from what I would consider a really big city. And the kids have just come in to say goodbye to Darby, and I'm still sitting on the floor stroking her head, which I know can sound really morbid. Some people don't like touching dead animal bodies, but for some reason that always kind of brings me comfort, so that's what I was doing. And I looked up at my husband and I was like, all right, it's time to grab the shovels. And he's like, what? You're kidding, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> we, we, have to, we have to do something with her body. And he's like, it's over 100 degrees outside right now. It's humid as all get out. And our ground, we have really heavy clay soil everywhere. Mm. So our ground is really hard. And he was completely convinced that we'd never be able to dig a four-foot hole big enough for her body by hand. So I was like, all right, fine. Let's go inside and we'll see if we can figure something out. You know, And if we haven't, then digging a hole is what we're going to have to do. He was, he was not very happy with me. <laughs> so we went inside to research what to do with her body. And we found that there was a local crematorium that was in like the smallish city that's about 30 minutes from us. And they said that they took pets and they would come in 24 hours a day to take them. So we we're like, perfect. We called them. We found out that they don't take livestock, even oh. if you consider them pets. So Jared was kind of trying to be a little funny but also 
semi-serious because we needed to do something with her. He was like, what do you mean you don't take livestock? She's not livestock. <laughs> She's a Aww. pet. They weren't having it. <laughs> but he knew they weren't going to have it, but he figured he might as well try. He'd try, yeah. He did. He tried so hard. Um, and we found out that the vet would take her the next day. So we could have taken her into our vet and they would have taken her to a crematorium that would take livestock. Um, but we had the baby chicks in the barn and I didn't want to leave Darby's body in the barn all night at 100 degrees while there were other animals living in there. And I mean, I guess we could have moved the chicks out now that I'm far removed from it and I can think about that. But I think this is a really good example of how hard it is to like think in the moment mm-hmm. when so many things are happening. Cause like when you don't have a plan, you're just kind of making it up as you go along. So you can't like see all the moving parts that can possibly be a part of it. Right. So we talked about putting her in the deep freeze, like we did with a hen that had died in the middle of winter when the ground was frozen and we couldn't dig. Mm-hmm. But since she died of pneumonia, we were like, that seems like a terrible idea because we have food in our deep freezer and we have nowhere to put that stuff. So we're going to nix that because that's not food safe. And after an hour of discussing our options and trying to decide if there's anyone we could call with a backhoe, we decided to just grab gloves and the shovel. And it took us three hours to dig her hole. It was hard. It was dry. It was full of rocks. And we only ended up being about two feet deep when we really wanted to go for but we did get her buried before dark and within a manner that I'm, I'm pretty pleased with. We haven't had any issues with it. So I think we did OK. But my husband was super unhappy about the whole thing. And I did my best to keep talking about like how much progress we were making and how the physical activity was helping me work out the frustration of losing her. Because that's just kind of how my brain works. Like mm-hmm. having something to do with my hands really is helpful to me. But it didn't do any good to him because uh, digging was not how he planned to spend his Sunday night. <laughs> And so he's super annoyed with me. (laughs) Right. And do you think that part of his annoyance, too, was because there was a loss involved? Not necessarily directed fully at at you, necessarily? It was probably part of that because he was frustrated, too. Because, you know, like, he he helps me take care of the animals. I do most of it. But still, Mm -hmm. like, a loss on the farm is a loss on the farm. So it affects us all. But also, I think part of the frustration was that, like, we had these animals and we did all this work and we did all this research, but we didn't plan for this part, which felt mm-hmm. like a big oversight on our part. So we're like, we know better than this. Like we know animals died. We have taken care of, we fostered dogs. We've had lots of sick dogs, lots of dogs with like some serious illnesses. So mm-hmm. vet care and taking care of deceased large animals is not something that we're totally new to. So it was like a giant oversight on our part. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, you don't, like, like we kind of said at the beginning of this, like, it's not a part that you want to think about. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's really easy not. for it to be an oversight. Yeah. So, I mean, and one of the reasons why it's so important to have a plan in place is because burying livestock is something that's like, it, it sh- it's something that shouldn't necessarily be taken lightly because there's rules about like, how deep you should bury them, how close to a well or a dwelling. Yes, it's... Not as simple as you would think. (laughs) It's not because you think like, just dig a hole. That's all you got to do. You're good. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Which is how this discussion came about. Mm -hmm. So what does one do with a larger animal when they've passed? We have combed the internet like we talked about. And we talked to some farming friends and came up with a list of options. So you can be prepared if the worst does happen on your farm. 
Yeah. And we want to note that where you live matters, kind of like what Bev was saying. Um, So if a large dog passes when you live in the city, you most likely are going to do like the crematorium option, Um, especially if it's like a temporary residence. You can't like if you're in an apartment, you can't go outside and just like dig a hole or if you're renting a house within city limits like that gets complicated. So you definitely want to do your own research check your city or ordinances and your like county rules if it's large livestock like those rules change all the time um so when in doubt like check with your local offices your extension office all that fun stuff um to make sure you're not breaking any rules and that way you don't you know have to dig up a dead pet and move it later or something horrific like that or get in trouble (laughs) after you're already traumatized because your your pet died you know yeah so having a plan is important because you're going to have a decaying body on your hands after an animal passes so when we're done with this make this plan (laughs) yes and um you want to keep in mind too that depending on where you live dead bodies from animals can attract predators at the very least it's going to attract probably like vultures depending on the time of year um and if it's hot out that's not going to be great for you either it's going to stink and make you feel really sad and horrible. <laughs> or at least it would be. <laughs> and something else to keep in mind, too, if it's a ruminant animal, you have the rumen to deal with as well, which mm. is something that can explode during the decaying process. So you want to mm. make sure that you have buried them or figured out what you're going to do before that happens, because that I can't make the, I can't make that into a joke. There's no joke to be had here. Yeah. It would be horrifying gross yeah yeah and there's always an option to like bev mentioned of putting them in a freezer if you have something like that in in the grounds hard um you think it says in the notes here about that you have a friend that does that yeah she actually keeps a deep freeze in her basement specifically for her farm animals that have passed now it's only big enough for uh like her pet pigs Um, Mm, and dogs and cats and chickens and things like that so that wouldn't necessarily be an option for a larger animal but a miniature goat would fit inside of a chest freezer Mm. as well Mm. so that's what I think we're working on trying to get is a second chest freezer for this like specifically for this purpose because it you know we found out when you live so far out it's hard to find options that don't involve digging (laughs) complicated it's complicated so option number one, and this is what Bev did, um, was burial. So an obvious choice if you have a lot of land and it's a task that's made easier with a backhoe. Um, so that's always an option. You can also bury, you know, you don't have, that doesn't have to be like a large livestock thing. That could just be for your chickens or whatever too. Yeah. And um The reason why we're discussing burial first is because uh, after I had the mishap with Darby, I talked to some friends until I found someone that had a backhoe that said I could call them on a Sunday night and pay them to come help us bury Darby. They probably wouldn't take payment, but I would make them take payment because they use their backhoe (laughs) for a business. (laughs) At least 
and like beer or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm going to disturb your Sunday. I'm going to try to make it up to you for yes. being kind and gracious and coming and helping me with this. Because, um, yeah, we're like, we live in the country. We don't know anyone with a backhoe that can't be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we asked around until we found someone because a backhoe makes bearing so much easier. Mm-hmm. Best management practices for burial is that um, burial should be no less than six feet deep with a minimum of 30 inches of soil cover. And burial should be somewhere where the soil is well drained and at least two feet above the highest groundwater elevation. And it must be 100 feet from a private well, 200 feet from a public well, 50 feet from an adjacent property line, 500 feet from a residence, and more than 100 feet from a stream, lake, or pond. And burial cannot be in a wetland, floodplain, or shoreline area. All of these best management practices are to keep the decomposition from contaminating water, essentially, is what they're trying to do. Right. And these regulations might be different depending on where you live. These were just like Mm -hmm. best management practices I could find. Your situation might require more or less than that from a legal standpoint. Yes. So the reason why it's important to come up with a plan before this happens is because this is the last thing you're going to want to think about after you have a a death on your farm or at your home. Um, I know I certainly didn't think about it when we had to bury my cat last September, but luckily it's like we put them in a place that's fine, but it's like, if you might not even know where your well is on the property if you've just moved there. Um, so figuring that stuff out ahead of time will, will leave you um, feeling a little less frazzled when it's time to bury that animal. And definitely more confident in your decision making. Yeah, exactly. So the second option that we found was composting. And so I was going to say I'm really excited to talk about this. <laughs> Which sounds morbid. (laughs) It does, because I'm excited about composting just in general. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you can compost a deceased animal, I think, is really cool. Yeah. Because you don't have to dig holes for it. And also, you can continue that animal's purpose and life purpose by having it help feed your garden soil, which I think is just, like, a really cool thing. And we actually did... Um, compost a chicken recently. So we'll go through what the recommended steps are from this website for composting, but then I'll tell you how I ended up doing it because I had to make just a couple of adjustments because we don't have a giant composting operation. So you definitely want to check with your state's environmental agency or state veterinarian before you begin this process because some places might require a permit or might not allow it at all. Um, But if they do allow it, or if you have the permit, um, you want to follow the following steps. So as an underlying layer or substrate, use a mixture of hay, manure, and bedding with a moisture content between 40 and 50%. Um, And odor can be kept to a minimum as long as the pile is turned to aerate it. And the covering material has enough carbon sources such as straw, sawdust, or hay to provide a 25 to 1 ratio of carbon to nitrogen. So 
that right there is enough for me to be like, ugh, this is too much work. Because I am not as excited as Bev about compost. So if if you're already like, yep, not doing it, um, just bear with us because this stuff is still super interesting. And I want to know how, like, how Bev's experience compares to what they're telling us to do here. Yeah. And like, uh, if you have a larger animal, you'll want to do it in like a windrow, which so I'm not exactly 100% sure what a windrow is. I probably should have looked it up. (laughs) But um, the pictures on the website were like a really long, um, like a long composting area, so that you had room to place additional animals if you needed to. And it recommended that it was 10 feet wide by four feet deep of the dry manure and the bedding mixture. And you want to put it in a solid spot where the ground slopes just slightly. And you want to do that so that um, rain can run off and snow can't puddle against the windrow if possible, because that will keep it from breaking down properly. And it says you want to orient it a specific direction, which is north to south, so that only one end faces cold exposure. But depending on where your pile is, you may not be able to do that. Um, my pile is just kind of randomly out there and faces all four directions from <laughs> my what I can tell. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, once you've placed um, a carcass into your composting windrow, You'll want to make sure that you've punctured the rumen of a ruminant animal to avoid the gas buildup and possible explosion. And you want to cover it with at least two feet of the same manure and bedding mixture that's underneath the carcass. The, the, the carcass. <laughs> <Can't talk laughs> and you want to maintain a stockpile of material for covering, which if you've got a chicken coop or a barn to clean out, that's not going to be hard. You don't need yeah. to stockpile anything. Just when you clean your coop or your barn, throw it on top of it. Mm-hmm. And um, carcasses can be added at any time, but should be spaced about four feet apart. And that's that's probably mostly for smell management and to make sure that each has their own proper area to break down in. Plus, they should be breaking down at different levels unless you've had a lot of death at the same time. So um, for proper composting, they recommend using a compost style uh, dial thermometer um, with a 30 inch long probe so that you can check the temperature in the middle of the pile. I just use a soil temperature for mine because I'll take a layer off and then I'll just stick the soil one into the middle to check what the temperature is and then put the layer back on. So you don't have to buy any fancy material, I don't think. Um, And in the wintertime, you'll be able to tell if your compost pile is hot because it'll be steaming. So you can get away with doing this without a thermometer. (laughs) And the ideal temperature should be around 150 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And you'll want to check the temperature every couple of weeks. Um, And when the temperature falls to around 110 to 125, when you stir the material um, and then put a new layer of compostable material on top of it, that'll reactivate the composting because you'll be adding oxygen back in. Because um, all of these microbes and things can only live where there is some oxygen for it to eat and thrive on. So you want to make sure oh that you keep gosh. introducing oxygen into it. <laughs> I totally just got the phrase shit stir for people that stir shit up. <laughs> to cause trouble gets hotter when you stir it it does that's right <laughs> oh my God. Ah, and if that's the only thing i learned today i am super proud of myself <laughs> i mean you're doing pretty good <laughs> yes 
And if left untouched, an adult carcass will compost in about five to six months. It's going to be less than that for smaller animals like chickens and whatnot. Um, And when you stir and mix and continue to cover the carcass with new material, that can make the time go by faster. And slower temperatures obviously slow down the composting process. And um, there will be some bony residue left because it takes a long time for bones to break down. So don't be super shocked by those. Um, but those will eventually break down also. And um, too much moisture can kind of slow the process down. So it's going to like how long it takes is really going to depend on your climate. Basically, mm. long story short. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And when we composted our chicken, uh, what I did was I actually just took our existing pile and we cut it in half because it's, it's a pretty tall pile. And we uh, kind of dug down into the middle of it, created a nice hole that was about the size of her body. We had a, a bucket of Herc's manure that I had been making into compost tea for the garden already that I never ended up using. So we poured half of that bucket down into the hole that we put for her, put her in it, and then poured the rest of the bucket on top of her and then recovered her with all of the material. And we haven't had any smelling, no predators have gone over there, nothing has happened. And in fact, when I told Orion that we composted the chicken that had died, he was like, what, there's a dead chicken in that pile? <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I had no idea. I'm like, good, that's the point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the purpose. So I think that it's working. We don't stir our pile very well. It's really heavy and we don't have machinery to do it and I don't want to do it by hand. So it's going to take us longer for that to break down because we're not intentionally bringing the temperature up and whatnot. Um, But it's got all the right mixture of stuff in it. It's got the hay. It's got the straw. It's got the manure. It has her remains and that should all break down really nicely. Cool beans. Very interesting. Yeah. So this next option is not an option that I've ever thought about, um, and it's called rendering, which is the process of converting animal carcasses to pathogen-free, useful byproducts such as feed protein. Woohoo! Yeah, woohoo indeed. This is like recycling circle of lifestyle. Yeah, it is. So in the process of rendering, the carcasses are exposed to high temperatures around 130 degrees Celsius or 265 degrees Fahrenheit using pressurized steam to ensure destruction of most pathogens, which is pretty cool. Um, However, rendering poses biosecurity concerns due to the transportation of livestock mortalities to multiple locations en route to the rendering plant. Not so exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So the rendering market has changed in recent years because of the price of meat and bone meal has has decreased and the use of many rendered byproducts has been eliminated due to concerns related to transmissible bovine spongiform encephalopathy, you know, mad cow disease. That's what it is. Basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and large distances between rural areas and rendering plants and the lack of timely pickup service of dead animals from farms are the biggest challenges of using rendering as a mortality disposal method. And in many areas, the number of rendering facilities are limited and in many cases are declining due to increased cost and biosecurity risks associated with transporting mortalities. So while rendering is pretty cool, it's not really a feasible option in most cases. 
It's not. And from what I heard from people on Instagram, because I did have a couple people mention that they used to send their large livestock out for rendering, but they can't anymore for one reason or another. So um, I thought it was interesting that my real life feedback uh, matched what we had pulled up for research weeks ago. So yeah, so a lot of the feedback that we we got was pretty interesting. And the overwhelming amount of feedback that I got because I posted an Instagram story as I was walking a dead chicken out to our burn barrel was that a lot of people use the method of incineration to dispose of that their, was what I got their chickens. And most of the people I talked to, it was about chickens, like goats, a little trickier. <laughs> um, but we just have a burn barrel that we use for our chickens because um, it's it doesn't sound like a good time for me to dig a six foot hole for a chicken unless like it was like one of my favorite deer pet chickens, then, then maybe I would do that. Um, it's not feasible for me right now to send it off to a crematorium, um, that would accept a a livestock animal. So for me, this is typically what I do. Um, if I had a larger animal die, it would, I would bury it, um, personally, but I couldn't believe how many people, um, said that they also burn their chickens and it's not so morbid that that's what I do too. And I did also get some feedback about like some people just throwing it, a chicken into the garbage, um, which I think is fine, but you might also want to check your local laws um, about that because I've heard before that that's not fine in some cases. Um so if you're just tossing them in the trash, I have absolutely no judgment of that. Um, you you handle your debt how you want to. Just make sure you're legally okay to do that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, sometimes you can take them straight to the landfill also, even if yeah. trash pickup won't take them. So yeah. you definitely want to call and see if that's an option because some places will let you drop off a deceased large livestock animal at the landfill. It just really depends on your landfill's rules. Okay. So back to incineration, which means burning them um, in layman's terms. So incineration is the thermal destruction of carcasses by auxiliary fuels such as propane, diesel, or natural gas. Modern incinerators reduce carcasses to ash and generally are biosecure. And incineration requires a great deal of energy compared to other disposal methods. It is not considered a viable economic disposal option due to cost and labor. So it, this part is kind of more about like the size of the animal. And if you're doing it yourself or you're taking it somewhere for it to be done. Yeah, because some large, um, some large ag areas with lots of livestock, someone there will own an incinerator that's designed for livestock and everyone brings their deceased animals there to use that. It's not, from what I got from feedback, it wasn't common for uh, one farm to own an incinerator unless they were like a really, really large farm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And this section also points out that Um, incineration is a preferred method for managing small carcasses like poultry and swine um, but not so much for like cattle uh, because you know like Bev said most people don't have incinerators on their farm and you're still transporting something to have it incinerated which can be a cause of concern for biosecurity purposes depending on what that animal died of yeah so the Capital cost of incineration may be a limiting factor for some producers, but poultry and small livestock producers may find incineration to be a convenient option to dispose of mortalities as they are generated. 
eliminating the need for temporary storage. So if it's too cold outside and you can't bury your chicken, the, you know, incinerating it might be a good option if you're comfortable with that. Uh, but you do have to realize, you, and we're not so good at this, I'll admit that, um, it's important to regularly clean and maintain what you're using for an incinerator. Here I feel like they're talking about, like, a legitimate incinerator, not necessarily a burn barrel. <laughs> they but, are. Yeah, they're talking about, like, a piece of equipment called yeah. an incinerator. <laughs> yeah, but no matter where you're doing this, just make sure it doesn't stink and you're not ticking off your neighbors, um, you know. I could make a KFC joke, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but you don't want any nasty smells. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's just good advice for no matter where you for are. For any of like, this. Any yeah, of keep this, the smells really. down and don't tick off your neighbors because that's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and in this article, they are saying that, uh, that an open pit or an open pile burning is like a last resort thing, but it is an option. Burn barrel is like a good option to keep it contained. So it's like that happy medium between just like a regular bonfire and an incinerator. Burn barrel is a good option. But you want to consider your personal safety, the safety of your property. Choose a location away from public view and be sure the carcass is burned as soon as it is discovered and it burns completely. Also, I know in my township, I have to have a burn permit if I'm burning anything on my property. So make sure you are aware of that too, if this is the option you use. So I know for us, if we don't have a burn permit, we have to, in in the, we have to call the fire department. We have to pay for everything. Okay. You want to make sure you got that lined up. I know for ours, we just have to go online and fill out a form. Super easy. You don't have to go anywhere or call anywhere. You can also call and leave a voicemail too. So I think most of the time it's set up to be pretty easy. It's just kind of like a CYA. Yeah. So you're not upset when <laughs> the fire spreads. Well, and because you pay to uh, to do a burning in the burn barrel, like if you have several chickens die in the winter and the temperature is staying frozen, mm-hmm. I feel like it's okay to stack the chickens up inside the burn barrel and let them freeze because you won't have predators coming at them. Yes. And then you can burn them all at once and not have to pay the fee every single time one dies. Well, actually, we don't have to pay anything for our burn permits. Oh, you don't? Okay, it's they're free. free. It's, oh, yeah, okay. it's like a CYA, but it might differ for you. So you definitely want to call and and find out makes sense yeah and one of the other options that we found on some discussion boards and I think your mom had talked about this with you also is some people are leaving um, like larger livestock to break down where they're at and letting mother nature take care of it yeah so you definitely want to call your local extension office um, to get up on the rules because I know for cows I've heard a couple different things over the the past few months on the proper disposal. And I think before it was you just left them there to break down, which seems kind of gross to me. It Um, does. It sounds gross. But, you know, like a cow, you don't have to worry about a coyote dragging a cow's carcass back to your farm. That's true. But if there are like biosecurity issues, you still got to move it. Move. Yeah, sorry. True. <laughs> uh, Move. <but> she was. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> sorry, laughing at inappropriate things. Um, 
but she was just telling me that that some guy was out on my grandparents' farm telling my cousin, like, now you can bury them, but it's got to be so many feet deep and you can only do one cow per hole and it's got to be so many feet apart after that. So there are some pretty strict rules depending on where you live. So as always, default to your state veterinarian or your local extension office for those larger animals because it's it's more complicated and you want to do best with for your farm. And we all know times can be tough for farmers and the last thing you need is some kind of stupid fine because you, you weren't aware of the rules. So keep that in mind. So now you have homework. Make your yeah. plan. <laughs> not do fun it. homework, but it's like, it's kind of almost like will planning for humans. Nobody wants to do that, but you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, someone passes and you don't know what their wishes were. So for this, when, when your animals passed, it's not necessarily that they had wishes, but you'll be wishing that you planned earlier if you don't have a plan. That's right. The end. <laughs> but now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Yay! You go first because I feel like yours is going to be happier than mine. Yeah, mine is. Mine's very happy. <laughs> so I found out that a wild deer crashed a wedding shoot to eat the bride's bouquet. And I thought it was just the most adorable thing ever. <laughs> Aww, that's, that is pretty cute. I think I've seen these pictures and they're so funny. Yeah, I had seen them on Facebook like a week or so ago, and then I needed something to can't even about this week. And I was thinking back, I'm like, what have I seen? I was like, oh, when I saw that, that just like totally warmed my heart. So that has to be it, especially since we've just talked about death. So I needed something funny. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got this article from the Dodo. And it says, wedding crashers aren't usually a good thing, but for one Michigan couple, an uninvited guest made the day even more special. Morgan and Luke were celebrating their nuptials on the Felt Estate in Saugatuck, Michigan, which I liked because I've drank a lot of beer from Saugatuck. So I was like, yeah. okay, it ties in. <laughs> and when photographer Lorenda Marie Bennett stole the couple away for golden hour portraits, they walked up on a hill and they saw that just over a wooden fence was a deer. And as soon as they arrived, the deer looked up and just casually walked over to them. Which is insane. I'm not going to lie. I'd be a little concerned if a deer just walked up to me because I'd be positive <laughs> it was diseased. But yes. that's just me. <laughs> the friendly deer greeted the couple and quickly spotted the bride's bouquet. And the spray of flowers was too tempting for the deer to resist. So he started reaching his neck over and grabbing flowers from her bouquet and just chewing away. And what's really cool is the photographer got a lot of photos of them. So you should go click on this link and you should go see them if you need something heartwarming. But what is really neat, too, is the couple left her bouquet for the deer to eat and enjoy since he liked it so much. And she just used a bridesmaid's bouquet to throw for the bouquet toss, which I thought was super cool because like. I mean, I don't know if you remember this from your wedding, but like from my wedding, I was so stressed out about everything that like the smallest thing that didn't go the way that we had planned. I had a lot of trouble just like getting over that. <laughs> See, on my wedding day, my husband drove back home to let the dogs out and came back and came back and we got an RSVP the day of our wedding. Oh, geez. <laughs> At that point, I was just kind of like all I could do was laugh. And I drank mimosas and I was fine. So I had like the opposite experience that you did. <laughs> I was just like, I felt like I was so stressed out. But I was also 20 weeks pregnant for our wedding. Oh, that so. doesn't help. 
That doesn't help. Yeah, so I didn't get to drink. <laughs> yeah, the mimosas certainly helped. Yes. So yeah, there's they that. They totally would. So what is your can't even this week? So mine is from uh, an article from CBS 12 News. Um, and it's from back in April. So I have no idea how I missed this. But apparently cockroach milk may soon become the new trendy superfood. Mm. <laughs> So CBS 12 is in West Palm Beach, Florida, um, and the article says this might make your stomach turn, but drinking cockroach milk could become the next health food fad. Scientists say it is rich in protein and mo- more nutritious than almond milk, another kind of milk that doesn't have nipples. <laughs> According to the Institute of Stem Cell Biology and Regenerative Medicine in India, the Pacific beetle roach produces, quote-unquote, milk made up of protein-infused crystals with three times the energy of the equivalent mass, mass of normal dairy milk. The researchers say there's potential to mass-produce roach milk, but for now, it's only something that can be extracted in a lab, so it could be years before it's on the market. The roach milk study was published in the Journal of International Unit Union of Crystallography. I think that's how you say that. Um, we will put the link in the show notes if you guys are feeling the need for more information before we start, you know, a cockroach milk chugging challenge. Uh, so <laughs> the article that I just read from is CBS 12, but there is a journal that you can go reference. I tried reading it. It's super technical. Um, and I just felt pretty grossed out in general, but I thought this would be interesting for Bev since, you know, she's <laughs> has some feelings about almond milk. So I was just curious, what would you drink cockroach <laughs> milk if it was like, you know, super like legitimately a superfood that would just solve a lot of your problems in life? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but also I don't believe in superfoods. Like, yeah, that's like, that's just like a buzzword thing that people use. Like if you eat whole foods and not too much of them and mostly vegetables, you're going to be fine from a nutrition standpoint. So like superfoods aren't necessary. I mean, I guess they are if you live on macaroni and cheese and saltine crackers. But if you try (laughs) to have like balance nutrition then it doesn't matter if something has like just a tad more magnesium plus like your body can only process so much vitamins and nutrients anyways so a lot of stuff you just end up pooping out (laughs) or peeing out like a lot of vitamins don't fully absorb in your system and there's been like studies where people's septic tanks have been full of partially digested vitamins because their vitamin doesn't actually dissolve all the way so good check for that if you do take a vitamin is to set it in a glass of water for 30 minutes and if it doesn't completely dissolve it's not doing its job and you're paying for expensive pee and poop so there's yeah pretty much yeah your vitamins have to be water soluble in order for your body to even have an opportunity to absorb them and that's why i'm an adult and i have gummy vitamins i have gummy (laughs) vitamins too oh cool I just said all of that like as if I'm a doctor. If somebody knows more about vitamins, go ahead and yeah, <laughs> us tell in us and if let we're us wrong, know. please. So, and the reason why I'm not a big fan of superfoods is because I just I feel like they're used as an excuse to suddenly drive the price up on something or suddenly mm. make a bunch of like weird products out of them. 
when they're just like a regular fruit or vegetable that just happens to have like a little more of this vitamin or a little more of that. Does that make sense? Like yes. it's not that I don't so like, like nutrition. It's that I'm just very wary of. <laughs> That's so funny. Bev's actually a skeptic about something. I love it. <laughs> I am. I'm an I'm a skeptic of people selling nutrition advice. Oh, mostly because I think yeah. it, I think that when you really think about it it's more simple than that it doesn't have to be complicated you don't have to pay for an expensive diet like vegetables fruit yeah a lot of it yeah. is self-control and portion yeah which I have neither so I'm not saying that I'm excellent or anything yeah, me neither. I'm so bad <laughs> I ate that. a whole box of Girl Scout cookies last week <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So it's farm story. Yeah, we went off on a weird tangent. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. So this story starts. So I wanted to post something here. It's not short, but I wanted to let y'all know that last night, a Sunday night, of course, because everything happens on a Sunday. We know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going out to check my flock and noticed one of the silky roos acting strange. It turns out he totally has a gnarly respiratory infection. I literally went into farm mode and quarantined, had all the supplies I needed to set him up for the night, and hoped he'd be okay until I could get him antibiotics after work since everything was already closed. It turns out, by the way, that we totally had LA-200 in our cattle supplies, a lesson I won't forget. I also have inventoried all of our first aid supplies, thanks to the idea, Bev. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. I spent all night tossing and turning, thinking about how bad of a chicken keeper I was and that I should have cleaned more often. You know, all of the things I shouldn't be worried about at 2 a.m. on a work night. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so lucky to belong to a local chicken keeping group that has files on the treatment of all the chicken ailments you could think of. Then I was able to go to TSC, get what I needed, and have officially treated poor Archie. The point of the story is I was listening to the Rural Women podcast and Drink and Farm today after the full mental beatdown I had put on myself and something finally hit me. I'm a great chicken keeper, damn it. I work my ass off for those fluffy butts and sometimes shit happens. According to Sam and Bev, no matter how well you keep things maintained, chickens will die if you look at them funny, right? Fortunately, Archie is already looking better and has continued to eat and drink. It's crazy how much I needed a wake-up call from awesome ag woman. Farming is dirty, ugly, and a beautiful thing that brings so much joy and sadness. That being said, I felt so confident not only researching, but acquiring and treating my poor Archie because of the encouragement from ladies like y'all. I'm so thankful to have such great influences in my ag journey and thankful I have women who are not scared to tell the truth about the ugly side of farming that inevitably happens when you raise animals. So with profound strength, confidence, and admiration, thank you so much, everyone. So glad I found my people. And that's from Molly. I'm going to butcher her last name. Molly K. Molly K. Yes. And she's at hippie underscore hens underscore hacienda on Instagram. And she left that for us in our Facebook group. And thanks, Molly. When I read that, I was just like totally blown away. Yeah, that was so nice. It was so nice that we wanted to share it with the world. Yes. (laughs) All right. So this is our first week of doing the new thing. And you might be asking, what's the new thing? Well, we talked about it last week. Um, So what we're doing now, and I'll explain it before I read this week's reviews, is that um, we're going to read our favorite podcast review from Apple Podcasts each week. 
So if you don't have an Apple product, Bev did find out there's a way to leave an Apple podcast review. You can actually just download iTunes onto your laptop and then you're able to find us at We Drink and We Farm Things and you can leave us a review there. That way you're not left out from the fun. So we will take all of the reviews we read for that month. Um, We'll draw a name out of a hat and that person will be an exclusive get an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. Um, So make sure you leave either your full name or your Instagram name um, or Twitter handle, some way that we can identify you um, so we can reach out to you, get your address and send you your your mug. So we did um, say that we didn't want to leave out the people that originally already left reviews over the past year and a half. So we put the names of the previous people that have left reviews in a hat and congratulations Ashley Kernan we selected your name for the original review win so we will be reaching out to you to get your address that way we can send you your mug and I'll go ahead and read Ashley's um, review from a year ago so it's titled Sam and Bev get me these girls are just my kindreds I love to save the most recent episodes for when I'm working outside and they always end way too quickly for my liking. I'm constantly verbally replying back to them as I listen, forgetting I'm not actually sitting in on their conversation in person. I am a total podcast junkie, but this one is absolutely number one on my list. Well, I hope we're still number one since that was like a year ago. (laughs) That's so sweet, though. Um, Yeah. I'm tickled by it. And it goes by it too. Um, and so for the first round of September that we're counting for the drawing, this week's review is from Natalie Quist. And her title is so long. <laughs> uh, it says the perfect virtual happy hour for any K. That's all I can see. So I'm sorry, Natalie. Um, but the review reads, I stumbled upon drink and farm on Instagram just a few weeks after I started my first flock of urban chickens and I became hooked immediately. I live in the city, but have always dreamed of having a little slice of farm life and listening to Bev and Sam transports me to a place where we're all sitting around drinking, laughing and sharing our farm and garden experiences and ideas. They are seriously so fun to listen to. I find myself talking back to the podcast more times than I care to admit. So that's more than one person. (laughs) (laughs) And I really love how they research topics that they are experiencing or reading about and bring them to their listeners in an honest, conversational manner. The context is a balanced mix of their personal farm tales and things that are going on in the world that are farming related. If you are at all interested in agriculture, gardening, or backyard livestock, this show is for you. Thank you so much, Natalie Quist, and hold tight, and we'll put your name in the drawing for September, and we'll see what you win. (laughs) Or if you win. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably more accurate, if you win, yeah. But yeah, so thanks, guys, and make sure you jump on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review so you have the chance to be put in the drawing. That's right. Okay, so we're going to do something new this week also. We're doing all sorts of new things, which is incredibly exciting. And hopefully we don't confuse you too much. But uh, (laughs) we want to um, ask you guys to share this episode either in your Instagram stories 
or on your Instagram feed and tag us, which is at Drink and Farm on Instagram. And when you do that, we will direct message you a special coupon code that will be able to be used in our Drink and Farm merch shop, which is over at drinkandfarm.com. That's all the cool mugs and neat stuff that Sam makes. So uh, do that. We will direct message you a coupon code and you'll get to buy some of our cool swag at a little bit of a discounted price in return. So thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not really sure how to do that, what you can do after we post on our Instagram that there's a new episode, you can just share that to your story or take a screenshot of it and share it on your feed and talk about what you liked on the episode. It's pretty simple. We're just trying to get the word out and offer our thanks for you guys spreading that word with the coupon code. So we're excited and we hope you're excited. Yes, yes. And make sure that you take a look at the show notes this week. There'll be links to all the articles we discussed. And there's also a link to a survey and the merch shops that we have. So check that out. Yep. And if you really like us as much as we like you, make sure you hit that subscribe button and download the episode when you listen. And we're just so grateful that you guys continue to tune in every single week. And we just, we really appreciate it. Yes, we do. So until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye, guys. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things.